With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hockey News on the Queue, brought to you by BetMGM. That guy is Jamie Tozer. I'm Will McLaren. And we've got a lot to discuss this week, and it's probably going to be the uh, recurring theme for uh, the next several months, Jamie. But uh, before we get to all that, uh, you and I have been in the same place for a lot of the last week. (laughs) That would be the uh, Halifax, that'd be the Scotiabank Center in Halifax. Um, You know, if if it wasn't World Juniors uh, the week before, it was getting back to Q League action uh, this week. And uh, we were treated to uh, a couple of uh, decent performances. In your case, you saw all three uh, for the Halifax Mooseheads. Yeah, pretty impressive showing for the Moose, and it's been a really good run for them, but I feel like they might have been listening to our show last week, Will, because I think we mentioned how the Mooseheads, they kind of doubled down during the trade deadline on their strengths, which is offense. They didn't really do anything to improve a lot defensively or net, and then they go out this week and have a really good defensive showing against probably the best defensive team in the Remparts. Then they have a really good goaltending performance against one of the best offensive teams in the league in Sherbrooke. Um, And then they end up beating a team they've really struggled against this year in Moncton. So um, an excellent week for for Halifax. Um, And I'm curious to see um, now if they can kind of close some ground on the Remparts for first overall. Yeah, I mean, it's down to six points now. Uh, the moves for full marks against Quebec, like I say, you know, it, it's funny, Jamie, you know, we've been saying throughout the year, you know, you know they're, they're, they don't look like the defensive juggernaut that some other teams look like, you know, Quebec, Sherbrooke, etc. Even Gatineau, of course, um, with those more top heavy, you know, star defenseman lineups. And, you know, you, you take a look at it and the Mooseheads are still like top four or five in the league in goals against it just doesn't feel that way because they're always filling the net and you know you talk about you talk about Moncton you know and the difficulties there well Moncton overcame a four nothing deficit and beat the Mooseheads 5-4 back in November 27 and since that's happened the Mooseheads have had at least a point earned in every single game it's now 16 straight they're a game away from tying that franchise record. Um, they play at home Thursday versus Shawinigan in an attempt to uh, to uh, tie that record. But uh, you know, and uh, all the while, you know, they are you know they're they're sneaky good, or at least the numbers indicate it defensively. Now, sometimes they come into situations like Saturday, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jamie, because for as great defensively as they were on Thursday. On Saturday, if Mathis Russo isn't in net, we're probably not talking about a point streak right now. Yeah. He was absolutely on fire player of yeah. the week and deservedly so. Yeah, and, you know, as weird as maybe this sounds, but, like, even even though they allowed, I think it was almost 50 shots. I don't think they, I don't know if they surpassed the I think 50 it was 48, shots. I think, 48, yeah. yeah. Like, even though they had that many shots, I still didn't think Russo, it's not like he was making, you know, ridiculous save after ridiculous save. I thought 
even though they let it let a lot of shots, I thought they still kind of limited a lot of the dangerous shots that Sherbrooke could have had. So I think, um, you know, even though the Moose says defense, you know, there's no a guy who we might talk about later on the show, you know, there's no like Noah Dobson type. There's no kind of like that marquee big horse back there, you know, Dobson or Thomas Shabbat type. Um, but you know, it's pretty decent group of, you know, above average defensemen. And I think you can kind of say that about their goaltending too. You know, it's, I don't think anyone would say Russo's or Brady James is the best goaltender in the league, but between the two of them, they might be able to get the job done. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, if Russo is not the best goaltender in the league and, you know, there, there's a lot of good challengers for that title. He's definitely one of the more, more consistent guys in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's helped as much as anything, you know, um, you, you're right. You know, the, the number of quality shots for Sherbrooke wasn't as high as 48 shots and goal might indicate, but at the end of the day, he stopped everything he could see. Yeah. Quite frankly, he did stop a couple that he couldn't see when the game was yeah. still relatively close. Uh, he made a couple of big saves uh, when it mattered the most. Um, we're going to be talking about the moose quite a bit in this podcast. So if you're from Halifax, um, enjoy, if you're not from Halifax, you know, we, we really meant to talk about your team more this week, and we will do so next week. Jamie promises. Yes. But for now. All 17. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for now, let's talk about not just Halifax, the team, but Halifax City, and in specifically Halifax and Moncton. Um, you know, we're, we're still very much in world junior hangover mode, so to speak. Um, people are still talking. Both cities still have a, you know, a bit of a buzz uh, over what they saw over the holidays in those respective cities. And sure enough, and this this came out uh, right around the time we stopped recording last Tuesday. We're recording again this Tuesday evening for everybody's information. But uh, the fact that uh, Hockey Canada has already said that they are open to bring the tournament or to have Halifax and Moncton bid again for the 2025 tournament that Canada is slated to host. Jamie, surprised? Uh, I am kind of surprised that this is a conversation and, (laughs) you know, like, Will, Will, this is a conversation, this is a podcast about honesty, right? So like, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you an honest question. I want you to give me an honest response. Like this seems completely (laughs) crazy to me that we're even talking about this coming back in 2025. Like, am I, am I off base by saying that? I would say in almost any other scenario, unequivocally, yes, okay. you you would be right in saying that this sounds borderline insane that we're talking after 20 years of not having it. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, Jim, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that, yeah, the tournament wasn't here in 20 years, but that tournament was not supposed to be here. Yep. The tournament was supposed to be in Russia. You know, it literally took an international incident and some very determined local um, people on the sports and the business scene to conspire and bring that event here. And uh, just a slight, you know, a a bit of a a story on the 2003 tournament. Um, I happen to know a couple of people who worked uh, within trade center limited back at that time. And the general commentary uh, leading into that tournament was, we are going to give them a tournament they'll never forget because we're probably never going to get it again in this region. And you know what? I think if it wasn't for two things, they'd have been right. First of all, and three things we'll say. Number one, obviously, 
the Russia situation. Number two, the fact that Halifax and Moncton came up, stood, uh, you know, stood up right away, came to the table and put on a bang up performance under short notice. And quite frankly, I think number three is damage control. This is all part of, in some small way, and I'm not putting on a tinfoil hat here or anything, but um, Hockey Canada is still in damage control mode. They're getting their house in order or attempting to, and rightly so. And I think one of the best things that they could offer, and whether this is a conscious or a subconscious olive branch, so to speak, the fact that they're willing to come back to true junior hockey cities right away, I think there's a little bit of, of an underscore of what's taken place with that organization over the last few years that's, that's driving in some way that decision. Yeah, totally. And like, I, I definitely think the world juniors will be back here. I definitely, but I definitely think it's way too soon to have the tournament here again. And I, I, I don't even, I don't even think it's a huge conversation to even bother having. Um, and I, I think there's a little bit of, of irony in it just because we've been talking about for weeks now, how this was awesome. We need to have this again in junior hockey cities. And then at the same time, we're going to have it in the exact same city. But instead of having it in these other junior hockey cities, everyone's been talking about for weeks now. So I think, mm-hmm. I think we all agree that it should be in smaller markets, but like, let's, let's spread it out a bit. Let's let's actually go to those smaller markets and, and reach different parts of the country. Yeah. If it comes back in 10 years, I think that's suitable. Yeah. For uh, sure. Two years. Yeah. It, it's like the Memorial cup. You know, you could just give it, you know, when it comes to the queue, you could just, put it in Quebec city or Halifax every time yep. if it's in the O you put it in London. Um, you can't do that. Yep. Um, it's, you know, it's nice to know that hockey Canada and the IHF would be thinking of us, but you know, just having that ability, having us on the radar, having this region on the radar, I should say that should be good enough for now. You're right. The novelty will wear off very soon. And I don't think you would ever see quite the same. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe Halifax and Moncton will prove me wrong. Don't I'm not giving out my address on this podcast. That's for sure. But um, I really, uh, the hype I don't think could be matched you know, two years after uh, what, what we just saw. And one thing I'll add there, well, just before we go off this is one of the things that I, we never really talked about is how um, Nova Scotia really um, recovered from uh, the women's worlds incident. And I know the IHF right. and hockey Canada um, we're not too happy about how that was, that was handled and the cancellation by, because of COVID. Um, and you know, there's really no talk about that at all, which I was probably a good thing for the government. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure they're happy with how the tournament went. Cause I definitely think that, um, they'll get some IIHF events in the future, um, after kind of harming their relationship over that incident. Yeah. And a, and a quick note on that, you know, quite frankly, if you're hockey Canada or the IHF in lieu of some of the decisions that have been made in recent times, if you're going to come after um, any city over uh, pulling the tournament due to a pandemic, um, you better think twice. Yep. <laughs> Choose your words yep. carefully. Yep. And uh, speaking of choosing things carefully, you know, we've talked about the trade period as well. The last number of episodes, um, everybody's now with their new teams. Everybody's getting comfortable, and some guys are getting particularly comfortable. Uh, we don't often talk about the QMJHL team of the week around here because, quite frankly, any of you you guys or gals, you can go on the Q website, you can see who made it, and chances are if you follow the league well uh, close enough, you probably have a good idea who's on there. But I think we got to point out, Jamie, six players on the team as usual, four of them are 
have been traded within the last two months. Josh Lawrence, Riley Kidney, and Alexi Gendre on the entire forward line are new, or in the case of Lawrence, have relatively new acquisition by their new teams. And Frederick Brunet on defense over in Victoriaville. Um, it's not very often that you see that many high-impact guys making substantial contributions almost right out of the gate. Usually there's an adjustment period there. Um, definitely not the case. That that really struck me as something unique. And obviously for those three teams in Gatineau, Halifax, and Victoriaville, very beneficial. Yeah, and to me that just shows like teams really did their homework this year. I think, you know, there wasn't just, you know, trading for this guy because he's the leading scorer and we need goals. This really seems like teams – um, looked at their teams and really identified what their needs were um, and got players that fit what their needs were. And I think uh, those teams that made a lot of moves during the trade period deserve some credit because uh, the moves they made so far have looked really good um, for those contending teams. So uh, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about uh, at least one or two, depending on what the answer is here, of those new acquisitions uh, when we get to the mailbag here in uh, just a couple of minutes. I, I want to stop for just a second, though, and uh, mention something that uh, I should have brought up in the last section. Um, and that's a congratulation to Team Canada and the women's under 18 team, who, of course, won gold in Sweden on Sunday um, for, and also congratulations to Sweden with a big upset over the United States in that semifinal uh, a little, I, I, I will admit I, I was watching both of those games. I was very impressed, um, but I will admit that's our um, insufferable. Uh, I mean, awesome director behind the scenes, Connor Somerville, who is kind of giving us a, a poke in the right direction there. And uh, thank you for the reminder, Connor, uh, and a very well-earned gold uh, by all the ladies on that team who no doubt we will be hearing many of those names in as, as early as a couple of years when the next Winter Olympics uh, come up. So when, when, uh, when the teams are in Italy, remember some of those names for sure. And speaking of prospects, both... Now, we've talked about the uh, women's prospects. Let's talk about the Q prospects as well. The mid-season players to watch list has been released by the NHL. We had 27 players on the first list, Jamie, back in the fall. That's been bumped up to 33. Um, there's been a, quite a bit of shuffling, actually, uh, amongst uh, who's been uh, taken off the list as well as who's been uh, put on. And uh, a few guys have made uh, some pretty considerable and, I mean, in my opinion anyway, well-deserved jumps. Yeah, it's good to see, you know, some new new names on that list. I know there's a few that popped out for me just because they seem to always kill St. John whenever they play the Sea Dogs. You know, Preston Lounsbury, who um, has turned into a pretty good producer of offense for the Wildcats this year. Um, and then Maxine Pellerin for the Teague as well, who is, always seems to play really well against St. John. So good to see a lot of the guys who – um, we're, you know, off the radar at the beginning of the season, but are having good years, um, get identified. Yeah. And also interesting to see guys who are not necessarily in their first draft year as well. Get noticed, uh, you know, Justin Gill was on the list, um, the first go around, he's still on that list, but, uh, a guy like uh, Maxime Pellerin is, is a good example of that as well. Um, who's, you know, he was a uh, first round pick back in 2020. 
of Victoriaville and, you know, a little bit slower to break out as sometimes guys are, uh, and also in different roles under Carl uh, Millett and before him, uh, Louis Robitaille in Victoriaville, but really hitting his stride for a Victoriaville team that's right in the thick of it, unexpectedly admitted, admittedly, but nonetheless, right in the thick of it, top of the Western Conference standings. And uh, another guy that uh, uh, kind of uh, caught my eye as well as far as rising through the ranks, Etienne Moran who is now 24th on the North American skaters list. Now that could that make him a potential first rounder seems a little unlikely because that is just the North American players list. Obviously that's not accounting Europe. Um, but the fact that he is on the cusp of the first round, first of all, from what I've seen of his play this year, Jamie, not surprised, but um, if you told me at the beginning of the year that he would rise that swiftly, after what was a solid 16-year-old season, I'd have been pleasantly surprised. And I'm pretty sure the Moncton Wildcats are pleasantly surprised as well. Yeah, he's having a phenomenal year. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know he's averaging at or above the point per game for quite a while this season, which is which is wild for a defenseman his age. Um, so, you know, definitely worthy of where he's ranked. And, um, you know, and a guy we're going to talk about later in the show, not to spoil it, but, you know, he's kind of the kind of the opposite of Dylan McKinnon who maybe isn't getting that much attention because he hasn't produced so much offensively. So kind of an interesting little contrast there between two defensemen. Um, but I agree with what you, I agree with what you said though. Well, I think, I think the Q, you know, maybe Goche is a late first round pick, but I think the Qs might be a little tough this year to get a player in the first round. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think uh, this is almost, this is almost gravy at this point, considering how thin the, the talent pool, the prospect pool was this year. The fact that we've, we've seen a couple of guys, you know, make the jump onto the list, a couple of other guys rise uh, steadily through the rankings. I think that's, that's a pretty good showing in its own right. And you're going to be able to see some of these guys in action amongst the other top prospects on January 25th over in Langley, BC. Jamie, are you going to that game? <laughs> no, I've, Langley's Langley's hard to get to. I won't talk about it too much on this show, but it's kind of a pain to get to. So no, I won't be okay. won't be going to Langley. Perfect. Yes, I think we've already mentioned this. Yes, you've 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 had some low key disdain for uh, you know, the uh, the proximity to the Langley Events Center. Which you know, yeah, I, mean, not fun. I think we've all had that problem at one point. Yes, who hasn't lives. been there? Right? Yeah. No, who hasn't been there? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I tell you who will be there, and that, of course, are the top prospects for CHL Top Prospects game. And at the time that I was compiling a missive for this episode, there were six guys named to the team. Now there are seven. Mateo Mann, Jordan Turigny, Etienne Morant, Matthew Cataford, Tyler Peddle, Ethan Gauthier, and here he is again, Dylan McKinnon named to the team as an injury replacement just today. Any surprises there, uh, Jamie? Uh, anyone that maybe you thought uh, would make the list? No, honestly, I think that they kind of got it right. And, you know, and again, it's not not a great year for the Q at the draft. So I think this is a, a pretty good group. And, you know, maybe there's some guys you could argue should have been on there. But at the same time, I don't know if any of the guys who are on the border um, – are, are kind of, you know, worthy to replace some of the, the folks from the O or the dub. So I think, I think they got it pretty right. Yeah. Uh, the one guy that I probably would have put in that basket. Uh, in fact, I was prepared to actually mention it, you know, as of last night was, yeah, I could see putting Dylan McKinnon maybe in there uh, somewhere, you know, he's <laughs> one of those guys on the cusp and well, yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. I was going to say yeah, that. Gonna as, say, as you're gonna, I know we were both going <laughs> to say, you know, it's, it's a shame that people are stealing our thunder like this. I think we've got to start recording more on Mondays, but yeah. Hey, 
you know, we'll, we'll work that out as the uh, season goes along. Right. But don't forget to check out the top prospects game. That's January 25th in Langley, BC. And now we've come to the mailbag and a couple of questions uh, thrown our way. Um, Start with the first one we got uh, on the week. It's uh, from uh, on Twitter, Swashbuckler, uh, which great name, by the way. Um, he wants to talk about or have us talk about Theo Rochette, captain of the Quebec Rampart. What are his strengths and weaknesses and why is he undrafted? And Jamie, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this first. Well, I definitely think his size is a bit of an impact on that one. You know, he's on the smaller side, on the smaller side, um, and he kind of plays that kind of stereotypical smaller style of game. You know, he's not the most physical type player, um, so I definitely think that's a bit of an impact on that. Um, and you know, he's had great numbers, but at the same time, he has played on very good teams, um, so that's definitely pushed his numbers up a little bit. Um, and I know he dealt with a bit of injuries there in his draft year. Um, you know, it's, this is an interesting era of player just because I still think there's going to be some weird, um, big misses and some, some over the years of players who are late bloomers just because of COVID and the impact that COVID's had on this, this group of players. So Mm -hmm. maybe Rochette's going to fall into that category where even though he's not identified as a great prospect while he's playing junior, he might go to the pro ranks and, and flourish quickly. Yeah, and I, I think there's one thing you hit the nail on the head there uh, with Jamie, and it's the fact that you know his draft year was 2020, and obviously you know COVID occurred, but COVID occurred late in that season. But what happened early in that season was uh, Theo Rochette was knocked out for the season due to injury, not literally locked out, but he was he was injured. He was limited to 19 games. Uh, he was on some teams' radars. Uh, if you go back, if you talk to certain people, if you go online, you can even find the old scattering reports where, you know, he wasn't a highly ranked prospect, but he certainly was on people's radar. I think the injury shortened, shortened seats and really called that. And then, of course, the next year for sure, and really in uh, parts of two years after that, um, the entire dynamic of scouting changed. You weren't seeing guys that next season in the rank. You're relying on rank net and webcasts and things like that where it's a lot tougher to judge some of these players like you know when um shane wright or connor bedard is on your screen you know they're pretty decent players when theo rochette comes on your uh, screen and you're watching from a laptop sometimes it's not as easy to pick up on the nuances of his game that might have gotten him drafted i will say this much um for my money theo rochette an absolute pro pro prospect. Um, You know, we've seen guys over the years like Yanni Gord, um, Alex Barry Boulay, who were very similar in that they were a little bit undersized. They were dynamic offensive players um, on, on the respective teams in junior. And they did find to a varying degree success in the NHL. Barry Boulay has had a couple of cups of coffee. Obviously Gord is a regular now with the Seattle Kraken after winning cups in Tampa Bay. Now, does Theo Rochette follow that same trajectory? I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. But uh, you mentioned his um, his size. And I think, you know, drilling down into that a little bit more, there's one thing, and I mean, we, you and I, we were both sitting next to each other watching him play on Thursday night. Um, the one thing that kind of struck me as well was um, not so much size, 
but strength, um, you know, the center of gravity thing, um, the ability to get off a powerful shot. It's not necessarily the heaviest shot. Um, it's he's he's it's a little bit more difficult or it seems more difficult for him to play along the wall in front of the net, those really dirtier areas. Not that he won't go there. He's a 200-foot player, but he, he's a little bit more apt to get um, uh, stripped of the puck in those situations, which uh, won't translate very well uh, uh, at the pro level. But the nice thing is physical training is a lot easier than teaching skill. So if Rochette uh, can uh, find ways to improve in that uh, manner, no doubt we will be talking about him as a prospect for some NHL team uh, in seasons to come. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm curious to see him kind of progress now, especially now that he's kind of uh, more of our, more on our radar. Thanks to uh, Swashbuckler. Yes. Thank you. Swashbuckler. Um, I wonder if he lives on a pirate ship. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, that would be, yeah, I can, I can handle that. Um, our other question just came in the other night. It's courtesy of Casey Lee um, on Twitter. Once again, uh, a lot more straightforward. Who has been the best pickup from QMJHL trade deadline? Jamie? This was this was kind of tough because there's there's a lot of guys who have really performed well. And I look at, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to it's hard not to recognize Lawrence and Doucette with the moose heads. It's hard not to recognize mm-hmm. the forwards Gadno added. Um, especially with uh, Vero missing, you know, a month or two. I think those You're are gonna, gonna pick be... one player though, right? You're not <laughs> yes, I, let me let me just let me just let me just Tell the audience my way of thinking here. Uh, <laughs> you just keep running for office. I'll listen. <laughs> so I think those forwards that, you know, Kidney, Genderon, McDonald's are going to be key guys with, you know, Burrow out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the year, when we look back on who's going to be the best pickup, I think it's going to be LaPena. I think it's going to, I think that is such a key ad for Gatineau. They have mm-hmm. a great, great team, but we've seen time and time again, great teams when it comes to big games, it's often the goalie that's, that's, their best player or it's their biggest problem. And I think adding LePena to that group is, is huge for them. Well, um, I'm going to stick with the same team, but I'm going to pick a different player. Um, I'm going with Riley Kidney and my sole reason for it. And LePena, I was sort of thinking of, uh, and admittedly, I, I kind of have a one and one a but I'm not going to do that. I'm not, especially after just busting you on it. My uh, answer. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cromulent answer, yes. So, um, uh, Kidney is my number one for one primary reason. Um, although Gatineau is super talented defensively, you know, they might have two of the biggest impact guys in uh, Tristan Luno and Noah Warren back there. They're set on defense up front, they're deep. Um, but as far as a true high quality impact guy, um, a guy who could potentially be a game breaker. Um, is there one there? Yeah, possibly. Um, but I think to solidify the ability to have that, uh, Riley Kidney was the must get. Um, uh, LaPena, once he, I, I agree with you, um, Jamie, uh, Goldton, obviously, Goldton your last line of defense. Um, but I think we've also learned over the years that having a very good goaltender is sometimes good enough. Yep. Um, sure. Upgrading was a savvy move, 
but I think Kidney coming in might even be the more impactful move. Um, by the way, for the record, my 1A would have been Marc-Andre Gadet in, uh, in Sherbrooke only because of the uh, amount of ta- uh, time on ice that he's going to be able to share with the workhorses in Spacek and mm-hmm. uh, Tyson Hines. Yep. I think that's going to pay dividends for Sherbrooke, especially in a deep playoff run. But uh, for me, I will officially settle on Riley Kidney as as my choice in that regard. Mo- a lot of the other guys, you know, you mentioned Lawrence and Doucette, just a quick uh, note on them. Um, the team that's go- they're going to a team that already had the top score in the league. It's not to say that they shouldn't have fortified offensively, but at the end of the day, they were adding to an already potent lineup. Um, I look at uh, a Kidney as identifying a very specific need up front and Gaudet as, spec- as uh, identifying a very, very specific need on defense. Those, those two are my most savvy uh, uh, choices, Kidney being tops. If you have a question, if you disagree, if you agree, whatever you want to say, it doesn't really matter to us. We'll probably put it on the air. Send us a message on Twitter. I'm at Will McRider. Jamie is at station underscore nation. We will remind you on Twitter as the week goes on. We are always looking for people to ask their questions, to spout their opinions, or to just tell us off. Like I say, we'll run anything. NHL team profile time. And this time, uh, kind of like last week, uh, um, Jamie, we're going to talk about a team that actually has no players draft, uh, QMJHL drafted players in the QMJHL right now. But they're not for a lack of Q guys. It's the New York Islanders. Um, and we'll start with the AHL and the Bridgeport Islanders. And that's a pretty decent roster. If anybody wants to go online and see this, that's not only an impressive group of players, that's a winning group of players that have uh, come together in Bridgeport. Yeah, that, that's a, you know, you look at their roster, like you said, and I mean, there's some pretty big name guys on there, especially from a Q perspective. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been following them quite closely this year, just because, for obvious reasons with William Dufour mm-hmm. and Vincent Sevigny. Um, you know, two guys who have adapted pretty well to pro hockey. Um, and we, yeah, I think we know Dufour kind of had the skill set to play pro, but we all wondered about his foot speed. And so far, he seems to have been able to, uh, to, cut, to keep up which has been good. And then seven, yeah, he was uh, adapted pretty well as well. I think um, he's a guy who went there as a free agent pickup, obviously had to kind of earn his ice time. And so far he's earned it and he's put up some pretty decent numbers as well. So, um, which is great to see. Um, And also shout out to uh, Scott Wheeler, who was on our show last week. Uh, He did a nice little piece about New York Islanders prospects uh, for the athletic, uh, which talks about a lot of these guys as well. And, you know, uh, seven, just to add on that, uh, uh, on that thought process, uh, Jamie, it's not just the fact that he's adapted so well. And, you know, we saw, you know, I see it adaptation, both him and D- Dufour came to a St. John team that was basically in constant flux. Yep. Players moving in, players moving out, coaches moving in, coaches moving out, and they managed to get the job done when it mattered the most. But for Sevigny in the pros this year, it was his offensive numbers that kind of uh, stood out to me because it took a very long time for Vincent Sevigny to be known as an offensive tinged defenseman in the mm-hmm. queue really wasn't until he was partway through his 19 year old season into his 20 year old season mm-hmm. that that really became part of his uh of his makeup as a player and the fact that he is putting up the points that he is so far in his first season of pro making that big of a leap you know he, he deserves a lot of credit for that and just an overall excellent guy 
uh, as well. Got to know him a little bit during the Memorial Cup, and you can see why he was uh, wearing the C uh, at the Memorial Cup for sure. And also, quick shout out to the other three guys uh, from the queue on the Islanders, the Bridgeport Islanders, that is Arnaud Durando, uh, Samuel Bolduc, and Ryan McKinnon. And talk about winning. That Between those five guys, you've got four President Cup Finals appearances, three Memorial Cup Finals appearances, a President Cup title, and in the case of two, four, and 78, of course, two Memorial Cup titles. So, you know, That's uh, wild. Sweet, yeah, sweet Lou over there, Mr. Lamorello, you know, he can pick a winner more yeah. often than not. He's picked nothing but winners from the queue yeah. for his AHL team. Yeah. Over in the ECHL, we'll get a quick uh, note out there to Miles McGurty, a uh, defenseman from back in the day with the Wildcats, Titan, and uh, Segnayan, who was the lone QMJHL guy in that team. A lot of American players on that wor- on that Worcester uh, Railers uh, squad. And then, of course, we come to the NHL and talk about winning. Anthony Bovillier, yeah. John Gabriel Pajot, Noah Dobson, all guys with winning track records in the queue, as well as Ross Johnson. Uh, no slouch in his own right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I was this brought back some memories. JG Padjo, I think, was just a phenomenal playoff performer uh, with Gatineau and with Shakutami. Had some some classic, classic playoff games against St. John. Uh, just a, a great player in the queue, and he's, he's really carried that over into the NHL. Noah Dobson, who we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, obviously won two Memorial Cups. That's pretty decent. You don't see that too often. Um, yeah, and Ross, <laughs> Ross Johnson... Uh, I certainly, when I looked at this list of all the guys who I probably thought weren't going to make it to the NHL on this list, he's probably going to be that guy. Um, so really impressive to see him carve out uh, a pretty respectable NHL career over the past few years. I'll never forget the day I found out that Ross Johnson was being called up to the NHL because I remember saying, what? (laughs) (laughs) This is, is this 1995 again? Um, but credit, you know, he is a throwback, obviously, you know, six, yeah. five, he's there. His main reason there is protection, physical presence, but he can still put in a couple of goals a year and he's not a liability out there in the ice. He found a way to make it to the pros and you, you, you've got to respect something like that. You know, Noah Dobson, we knew he was going to be an AHL guy basically from the first time he stepped on a QMJHL yeah. rink. Um, but the guys like Johnston, those are the ones that kind of make you smile. You know, makes you realize that you know, maybe not everybody can do it, but you know, sometimes the the people that uh, that they really put in the time and figure out a way, they they earn they they, they earn that uh, distinction. So uh, good for him. Good for all the guys in the Islanders who are making a, a bit of a rebound, uh, fighting for a playoff spot in the uh, Eastern Conference this year. 2023 draft prospect of the week. We've already talked to him about him a couple of times, and I swear to God, I did not pick this guy because of him getting selected to the prospects game at the last second. This was, and Jamie, I, I, I strongly implore you to back me up on this. Yeah, there are receipts. There are receipts. It's true. There are exactly. I will. I, you know what? I'm not Hillary. I will show my emails. It's no problem. <laughs> Dylan McKinnon. Halifax Moose's defenseman who took a giant leap up the players to watch list. And uh, for good reason, I know, uh, Jamie, you just moved to Halifax here a couple of weeks ago. Um, so you've gotten to see, you've, you've gotten to see uh, less of him in the first half. Um, you, you've sort of seen almost the best of Dylan McKinnon really yeah. these last couple of weeks. Um, just the difference in this kid and his, um, poise and and just the decision making that he has made from october till now 
there's a reason he's ranked the way, the way he is right now. Yeah. And I definitely remember when he was drafted, you know, when you go fifth overall, you're obviously going to get quite a bit of attention in your rookie season. Um, and, you know, being a Moncton Flyers grad, they're a program that knows how to develop defensemen. Um, but honestly, I don't remember, you know, noticing him a whole lot last year um, on the Mooseheads. He played quite a few games, but didn't, didn't contribute a whole lot offensively. Um, but the last few games, you know, he's been very noticeable, very, very physical. It seems like he's a lot more confident stepping in offensively. Um, and just seems, you know, overall has taken for whatever reason, a huge stride and, whether it's coincidence or not, you know, it seems like that top prospects game snub has really motivated him. And, and again, it might be a complete coincidence, but it seems like it's turned almost his entire season around um, not getting named to that roster. Um, mm-hmm. Now, not to say he wasn't having a, a decent first half, but he seems like he's really cranked it up a notch over the past month. Yeah. And last year I thought it was a case of they, they, the Mooseheads brass did bring him along a little bit slowly and they had the ability to, I mean, they, they, yeah. they've got enough guys who uh, they can uh, insulate um, a guy like Dylan McKinnon with, you know, whether it's a Jake Furlong or a um, Cam Wynott or you know, a Brady Schultz, guys like that. So it was a slow and steady process and he did make his chair. He made the mistakes that you'd expect a 16 year old defenseman to make in the queue. And that's not a knock on the kid. That's just reality. Uh, but, you know, especially with defensemen, all of a sudden it, it seems like it happens maybe a little more often than not. Um, you'll notice things start to click. And probably sometime, as far as I, from from my watching, sometime in maybe November, kind of coincided with this streak the Mooseheads are on, things really started to click for Dylan McKinnon, and he hasn't stopped. And he made a couple of plays even that game against uh, Sherbrooke, great heads-up plays from the line. Mm-hmm. Um, that were very savvy. They were veteran moves, getting yep. the puck in the right places. And one of them uh, that I recall uh, distinctly led to a goal by Jordan Dume. They're the sort of plays that we weren't seeing from Dylan uh, McKinnon before, say, November. But it, I think it's just a case of just everything started to click at the right time. And good for him as well as yeah, and I'm, I'm really curious to see him the rest of the year, but also next year, because, I mean, next year has kind of been targeted as a go-for year for the Mooseheads, and I think McKinnon can kind of be, you know, a, a guy who's <laughs> playing, you know, like 30 minutes a game type player. So really interested to see what he can do next year. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The future is bright uh, for Dylan McKinnon and for the Halifax Mooseheads, who it seems like we've talked about nonstop in this program. But, hey, you know what? When your team earns points in 16 straight – you're going to get a lot of love on the Hockey News on the Q podcast, too. So keep that in mind. So we're going to close her off uh, for this week. Um, again, any questions, comments, anything you want to throw our way, send it to us via Twitter at Will McRider at Station underscore Nation. We love getting mail, and we love hearing your thoughts and bringing your thoughts to the rest of our listeners every single week. So for Jamie, I'm Will. See you next week, and thanks once again for watching the Hockey News on the Queue, brought to you by BetMGM.